scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. And this is found on page 959 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, uh, please take one of these home as a gift from us. This is God's Word. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dan, for reading God's Word for us. Welcome. My name is Paul Brandis, and I have the privilege of serving the Brookside Campus of Christ Community as the associate pastor. Though, again, I'll say it, uh, for the next three months, I would appreciate it if you would think of me as some version of Bill Gorman, perhaps just with more hair. <laughs> now, you may think that's a mean joke, especially since he's not here and can't defend himself. But actually, uh, Bill made the same joke when he met my son, Bevan, for the first time, who is only six weeks old. Uh, Bill walked into our house, took one look at Bevan, turned to me and said, man, he already has more hair than me. <laughs> so Bill wanted uh, to make a joke and make a joke at himself as well. He uh, is our faithful campus pastor who is getting to uh, spend three months on a planned sabbatical with his wife and daughter, Rachel and Lucy, and uh, we're, we're, we're glad that he gets to do that, and we're glad that you decided to still come today. So um, thank you for being here. Welcome, especially welcome to the elementary students, uh, first through fifth 
fifth graders on holiday uh, Sundays like today. Uh, we, we have them upstairs with us. They're welcome anytime, but uh, on holiday Sundays, they're up with us. I just want to say for them and for anyone, uh, we have the Kid Connect. I want to remind you of this. Our Children's Ministry Director, Dave Lazio, does a great job putting this together. Every week it helps uh, elementary students or anyone follow along with the sermon, and those are right in the back middle. And so uh, if, you, if you want to grab one of those, go ahead and do that now. Would you please bow your heads and join me in praying for God to bless our time with his word. Guide us, O oh God, by your word and your spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth we may find freedom, and in your will we may discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. I believe that feeling like you don't belong is one of the most common and difficult human experiences. I was in middle school, seventh grade, when I experienced that feeling most powerfully. I had been good friends with a couple of guys for a few years, but at some point, the dynamics of our group had changed and I became the brunt of most of the jokes. Yeah, that was hard enough, but one day I actually got up the courage to ask one of the guys what had changed and why they had started teasing me. We were on our way to gym class. I remember this as clear as day, and he actually didn't give me an immediate answer, which of course was torture. Instead, he went and conferred with the other guy, and then right before class started, they both came up to me and said that quite simply, they just didn't want to be friends with me anymore. Aww. <laughs> We were too different, they said. Now, I could still play basketball with them at recess because they needed me to make a full game, but I probably should find somewhere else to sit at lunch. Well, as you can imagine, that moment is seared on my brain. I don't belong, I said to myself, over and over and over again. And while the ending of that story, actually, if you can believe it, is a happy one, because I ended up meeting one of my best friends in the world because of that, and both of those guys came back to me later and apologized, I will never forget that intense feeling of isolation and loneliness. Again, feeling like you don't belong, being isolated, being alone, these are universal human experiences. And I believe that every single one of you could stand up here today and tell a similar story, a similar experience in your life of a time when you felt like you didn't belong. As one writer quipped, to be lonely is to be human. When we feel alone, we're actually not alone in the sense that everyone has been there. And here's the incredible thing that the Apostle Paul says to us in the passage that Dan just read a few minutes ago. It's a thing that I don't want you to miss today. It's our big idea. In the body of Christ, you belong. In the body of Christ, you belong. Now, just a quick reminder about where we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. For several months into our overall teaching series, uh, which we've entitled A Beautiful Mess. And just last week, we started a four-week mini-series called One Goal, Many Gifts. 
We're taking a look at chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul mainly discusses the topic of spiritual gifts. You see, the Corinthians, just like any other group of humans, struggle to stay together. There were so many things fighting to tear them apart. And that's why Paul addresses and speaks against divisions early and often in this letter, starting all the way back in chapter 1, verse 10. And in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul moves on to discussing divisions that the Corinthians were experiencing in their worship service. If there is one place where Christians should especially be unified, it's when we gather to worship God. But the exact opposite was happening in Corinth. The Lord's Supper was an issue, gender roles were an issue, and as we saw last Sunday when we covered the first 11 verses of chapter 12, spiritual gifts were a major issue. They were causing divisions. And when divisions exist, people feel like they don't belong. When divisions exist, people feel like they don't belong. But again, as we'll see in this passage, Paul says that in the body of Christ, you belong. And furthermore, we'll see that you belong in three ways. One, you belong here. Two, you belong together. And three, you belong to him. First, you belong here. Paul makes this point in verses 12 through 20 of our passage. First, in verses 12 through 13. Look back at our passage with me, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. One, 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 one. Did you catch the obvious and over the top repetition in these verses? Paul's main point as he introduces this extended metaphor of the body is obvious. When it comes to the church, there is one body, not two, not three, not five, not one hundred, not one million. There is one body. <laughs> Again, remember the context of these verses. The Corinthians were bickering about who was the most spiritual, whose gifts were the best, and so on and so forth. And these aimless arguments were leading to these incredible divisions and to some in the church feeling as though they didn't belong. Feeling as though they weren't part of the one. And no. Paul says, he interjects, he says, there's one body, there's many members, yes, but there is only one body. And they were so caught up in the midst of these divisions and arguments that they missed the forest for the trees. Because, see, it's actually just phenomenally incredible that there is only one body, right? I mean, think about what Paul says in verse 13. This one body includes both Jews and Greeks, both slaves and free. You know, for a Jew like Paul, the, the, the racial divide between Jew and Gentile, between Jew and Greek, was as wide as the Grand Canyon. 
Yeah, but that's the thing about Jesus' cross. It stretches across even the widest canyons and brings all people together into one body. Jew and Gentile, free and slave. And in this one body, there is no room for division. There is no room for splits, no room for pride, no room for loneliness, no room for not belonging. Because if there truly is only one body, then no matter who you are or what gifts you have, you belong. In verses 14 through 20, Paul makes the same point by teasing out this extended metaphor. Look back with me at the passage. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. You see, he turns it there, right? One member, but of many members. Of many members, but one body. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We need to pause for a moment and try to picture the insanity of what Paul is describing. If today after church you happen to take a, a walk at Moose Park, it's not a really nice day out, but if you decided to venture out anyway and take a walk at Moose Park, and as you were walking you came across a detached ear, what would be your response? Or an attached arm, or an attached eye. I don't even really have to answer the question. That would be grotesque and disgusting. You would cover up the eyes of anyone that was with you. You would puke in your mouth a little bit, and you would run the opposite direction. And that's because a detached arm from a body, a detached eye from a body, a detached ear from a body <coughs> is level 11 ridiculous. Doesn't make any sense. And that's Paul's point. You know, we may not respond in the same way when a Christian is detached from the body of Christ, but it's just as ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense for the physical foot or physical ear to claim it doesn't belong to the physical body because it does. It's a foot. It's an ear. What is it apart from the body? It belongs. And it's the same thing with Christians. You don't belong, belonging. You're a Christian, which means necessarily that in the body of Christ, you belong. I think part of the problem comes from envy. I mean, that's even how Paul frames it, right? The foot claims that it doesn't belong because it's not a hand, and the ear claims that it doesn't belong because it's not an eye. And that same sort of thing happens with Christians, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter in our physical bodies. He's driving this point home. That part of these divisions and arguments exist because of envy, because as Christians, part of the body of Christ, we get gift envy, and we wish we were a different member. We wish we were a different 
part. But in verses 17 through 19, Paul blows this up. He writes, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Do we really think that God got it wrong? I think a lot of times we do. And we wouldn't step back as an eye, if you're a physical eye or a physical ear, and question our role, but we so often do that as the body of Christ. Or look at somebody else's role or part that they're playing and desire that. Our physical bodies need every member, and the body of Christ does too. That's the truth. You know, recently I saw a clip from the office that makes this point beautifully with Jim and Dwight. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. I just absolutely love that. Just 20 minutes a day, Jim. All feet and no hands, not the pedic dexterity of a chimp, and you'll be sitting there looking like a chimp. That line is just, oh man, so good. <laughs> but you can flip it around too, right? I mean, yes, the hands allow us to drink coffee without spilling it on ourselves, which I'm thankful for as the dad of a six-week-old living on coffee right now. But it's equally true that our feet allow us to walk in a way that our hands don't, isn't it? The feet can't be hands, but it's equally true that the hands can't be feet. And our bodies need both of those. So no matter if you're a foot, an eye, or an ear in the body of Christ, you belong here. And believe it or not, I actually get some massive pushback on this. This, this you belong here no matter what part of the body you are. And in one sense, I, I get why there's pushback. Because through the years, the church has really messed up badly. And even as a pastor, I'll be the first one to own that. I mean, capital C, universal church has messed up badly, and, and, and many local expressions of the church have messed up badly. And that's led people to say things like, I'm following God, but I don't do organized religion. Or all I need is Jesus, my Bible, and my televangelist. <laughs> or I love Jesus, but not the church. And it's that last one that really grieves me, and not as a pastor, as someone who works for a church, but as, as a part of the church, just as a Christian, that grieves me because it totally misses how connected Jesus is with his church. Now again, one of the things that comes up over and over again in this passage is that the church is the body of Christ. You think how connected we are to our physical bodies. So if someone were to say to me, well, Paul, I really like you, but I really hate your physical body. I, I probably wouldn't spend that much time with them. In, in other places in Scripture, the church is described as the bride of Christ. With me. How much would I care for a person or want to spend time with them if they said to me, well, Paul, I really love you, but I just hate your bride, Ashley. Jesus and his church are intimately connected. And as Christians, we can't separate ourselves from his body. If you are a Christian, you belong to the body. So let me ask you this question. Is church a place you go or a place you belong? 
Is church a place you go, or is it a place that you belong? And I'm not asking you this to manipulate you or to make you feel guilty. Because the fact is, if you truly follow Jesus, then you will love his body and you will belong to it. So again, is church a place that you just go? Or is it a a place that you belong? Do you attend that often? In other words, are you here? And, And not just arriving 10 minutes late and then leaving as soon as humanly possible afterwards. Do you contribute? Do you look out at the needs of the community, jumping in where help is needed? Do you use your gifts for the good of others? Do you give not only of your time and talents, but also of your treasure? Do you have friends here? Your deep and meaningful relationships, even though people are really hard and really messy? Are you in a community group? Are you a member or are you considering membership? Have you committed to this being your church home? Do you talk about your church with others? How do you talk about your church with others? Do you invite others to come with you? Is church a place you go, or is it a place that you belong? Because again, that's one of the beautiful truths from this passage. No matter who you are, no matter who you are, married or single, young or old, kids or no kids, male or female, whatever race, whatever economic status, in the body of Christ, you belong here. You belong here. Now, it's true that there are many of us that are already here, belonging, and as it turns out, we're not perfect. So yes, it won't always feel like you belong. And maybe some of you have that testimony today. Maybe some of you, as you heard me tell my story of being in seventh grade, were actually reminded of a time where you felt that way in the church, and you could stand up here today and give the tragic testimony of being hurt by the church, being rejected by the church, of not belonging in the church. And if that's you, you felt isolated, you felt alone, I am deeply sorry. Because it ought not be that way. But the truth is that things like that are going to happen because the church is made up of imperfect people. And it's especially going to happen if we continue to argue and divide over things that should unify us. Exactly what was happening in Corinth. So no, the body of Christ is not perfect. But whether you believe this or not, perfect is actually what we're aiming for. There's a lot of times that we fall short in that, and if you have been on the receiving end of that imperfection, again, I am truly and deeply sorry. But don't give up, because here you belong. You belong here. And furthermore, if we're going to keep marching towards that protection and after that perfection, we need you. And that's where Paul goes in the passage next. He says, "You belong here," but he also says, "You belong together." together. 
We see this in verses 21 through 26 as Paul restates and expands his metaphor of the body. Look back with me there, and I'll read for us again. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we actually bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Paul says, not only do you belong here in the body of Christ, but you belong together. We belong together. Our physical bodies don't work properly if we don't have all the members, and neither does the body of Christ. Eugene Peterson captures verses 21 through 23 powerfully in his message paraphrase of this passage. He writes, can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you. Or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The quote-unquote lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. Mm -hmm. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. To make even this higher or lower uh, part more personally, um, I, I think, I believe, I'm seeking out, I'm trying to figure it out, I'm praying about it, that one of my spiritual gifts is teaching. And uh, in the body metaphor, that would liken, be likened to the mouth, right? And just like, though, as Eugene Peterson says, you can live without an eye, we all know that you can have a long and fulfilling life without a mouth. And everybody said, amen, which Paul would talk less. <laughs> but you can't live without a liver, or a stomach, or a colon. Amen. <laughs> and now I get it. I really do. Somebody gets to be the mouth, and somebody has to be the colon, right? Anybody else grossed out right now? <laughs> And I did go back and forth on whether or not to use that part of the body as an example, but I went with it because I think it's the point that Paul is trying to make. You know, left unchecked, without Paul driving this point home, we end up valuing the wrong things, don't we? We end up valuing the wrong things. We live in the most celebrity-driven culture of all time, and far too often that applies in the church as well. Your celebrity pastor is certainly an oxymoron. But you'll hear it applied to people. Somewhere along the way, we forgot the same thing that the Corinthians forgot. You can live without the so-called flashy or higher parts of the body, but the so-called weaker or lower members are actually indispensable. Mm -hmm. And actually then, when it comes to our physical bodies, we bestow much bigger modesty and honor on those members, don't we? 
So Paul's saying, if you as the body of Christ would only take your cues from your physical bodies, then you wouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that there are more important or less important spiritual gifts or more important or less important members of the body. And I do think there's a question here. Because what if you have been given some of these so-called weaker or lower gifts? Well, first of all, I want to deeply apologize to you if you have ever had your gifts devalued or if you as a person have felt less than because of the way that you've been gifted. Or even if you, you felt like you're just, right? I just organized or I just host or I just help in children's ministries, or I just am a door greeter, or I just am, right? <coughs> Sometimes we do that to ourselves, but other times people put that onto us. And that's unacceptable, because it runs right in the face of what Paul is saying here. It runs right in the face of what Paul is trying to teach us in this passage, because even if you are a toenail, a stomach, or a liver, you are Christ's toenail, Christ's stomach, and Christ's liver. It's the body of Christ, the meaning that no matter where you fit in, you belong to him. You are part of him. And trust me, it's better to be the toenail of Christ than it is to be the mouth or eye of a body that isn't his. And tragically, how often have we seen pastors or speakers or leaders so clearly become the mouth of the eye of a body that wasn't Christ's? It's far better to be the toenail of the stomach of Christ than it is to be the mouth or the eye of something that isn't his. It is so good and necessary that we're different we can all say amen that if the whole body were a mouth, that would be a pretty miserable place to belong, right? And personally, I don't possess the gifts of serving or mercy. What would the body be like if there weren't others that did? We need one another desperately. And when we start to belong together, not just belong here, but when we belong together, this amazing and incredible thing happens. Paul describes it in verses 24 through 26. Starting in the middle of verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Listen to this purpose clause here. That there may be no division in the body. Now what's the outcome of that? But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. All rejoice together. Basically, God did it this way. He organized it this way so that there would be unity, not division. And this unity, pushing away division, this leads to incredible care for one another. Corporate suffering and corporate honor. When one member wins, we all win. When one member loses, we all lose. And this reality, this beautiful reality, doesn't happen if there are divisions. It doesn't happen if people feel like they don't belong, and it doesn't happen if we're not entering into deep and legitimate relationship with one another. And again, I, I get it. 
Because people can be the worst, and we're super messy. Deep and legitimate relationships are hard, and they take a really long time to create and cultivate. But when the body does function the way it's supposed to, when this level of care and corporate togetherness happens, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Recently, I've been blessed and privileged to see this happen in our community group, Ashley and I's community group. There's one couple in the group who's just had a surpassingly difficult year. They've had multiple unexpected deaths on both sides of their family. Just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And we're still a relatively new community group. We've only formed in <coughs> September, but I have been massively encouraged and enshadowed by the ways in which the group has rallied around this couple. Truly, the members of my community group have embodied Verse 26, when one member suffers, all members suffer. Author Vaughn Roberts makes this point powerfully when he writes, We should not see the church simply as a meeting we attend, but rather as a community to which we belong. That will mean working hard to build close relationships with others so that we can give and receive to the full. Our relationships should be so close that, just as in a body, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. So we feel the joys and sorrows of our Christian brothers and sisters. But again, you have to belong together in order for this to happen. So let me ask you, who are the people you need and who needs you? You notice that this question presupposes that you need people. It's very intentional and it's very important because we can easily get caught thinking about all the people that need us and forget that none of us can be the body of Christ alone. We all need others. And this question also presupposes that you have a working understanding of yourself and of your gifts. Because if you don't have that working understanding, then how will you know ultimately where to fit in? How do you know where you are strong and where you're weak? You have to know what gifts you've been given. In order to answer this question, you have to know what part of the body you are. We talked about this last week, but Paul's repeating himself, so I'm going to as well. <laughs> we provided an assessment tool for you to serve as a launching pad into a process of gifts self-discovery. And I know that we've had some technical issues with the tool. Sorry about that. But it should be working now. And if you haven't engaged it yet, if you haven't taken the test and started this process, this journey, I encourage you to do that. Because you have to be able, in order to answer this question, you have to know how you're gifted. You have to know what gifts you have. And there's such an incredible diversity of gifts, isn't there? The last week in verses 8 through 10 of chapter 12, we saw a list of some of the gifts, and, and in this passage we see a shorter list, a different list, in verses 27 through 31. Listen to the diversity of just a few of these gifts, in no particular order, from both passages. Wisdom, the ability to make good decisions. Knowledge, having a good grasp of things. Faith, all Christians have the gift of faith, yet some possess a remarkable ability to trust God. Healing, Rare, I think, but I do believe that God allows some to be the conduits of his hearing, healing. A miracle, same thing, very similar. 
prophecy, the ability to speak forth God's message, distinguishing spirits, recognizing what comes from God and what doesn't, tongues, speaking in languages you didn't learn, interpretation, translating those languages, and that's not all. Encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy, service, teaching, administration, evangelism, pastoring. That's just a sampling. We desperately need unity in the body of Christ, but we are blessed with an incredible diversity, aren't we? An incredible diversity. Listen to Professor and Scholar D.A. Carson on the topic of diversity in the body of Christ when it comes to our gifts. The triune God loves diversity, so much so that when he sends a snowstorm, he makes each flake different. We, on the other hand, manufacture ice cubes. Doubtless, the church is in some sense like a mighty army, but that does not mean we should think of ourselves as undifferentiated khaki. We should be more like an orchestra, each part making its own unique contribution to the symphonic harmony. Diversity. Now we're going to talk quite a bit more about a couple of those specific gifts in a few weeks when we get to 1 Corinthians 14. Paul really zeroes in on a couple gifts in that chapter. But today we cannot miss Paul's main point, which again is the importance of both unity, first unity, but then incredible diversity in the body of Christ. If we miss that point, then we'll never get around to answering this question. Who are the people that you need and who needs you? What gifts have you been given? What part of the body are you? What instrument are you going to play in God's orchestra? Who do you need and who needs you? Finally, you belong to him. You belong here, you belong together, and you belong to him. We've already touched on this, but very briefly, we need to bring it home on this point, because this point is what makes all the difference, isn't it? Whose body is this that we belong to? And I've said it a bunch. If every Christian is a member of this body, then who gets to be the head? There's only one head, and it's not me. It's not Bill. And I hate to be the one to tell you this this morning, but you're not the head either. It's the body of Christ, as I've already said, and he gets to be the head. You belong to him. You know, in Christ's community, we're not about following some great leader or some awesome vision. It's not us. It's not our DNA. We don't want to be too dependent on any one leader. Our senior pastor, Tom, could leave. Our campus pastor, Bill, has left for a three-month sabbatical. And yet, Christ's body will still flourish. Because Jesus is the head. It's his body. Somehow, as it always does with the Apostle Paul, we end up back at Jesus. It's his body, and he gets to be the head. And one of the things that that means is that all the glory and all the credit gets to go to Jesus. And shame on us, shame on me, for stealing Jesus' glory, for stealing Jesus' credit, because this whole thing that we get to do here comes from him and goes back to him and is about him. So let me ask you this final question. 
Are you okay with less if he gets more? Are you okay with less if he gets more? Less credit, less attention, less applause, lesser tasks, things that aren't as fun or easy or satisfying? And let me be honest, I struggle deeply with this question. There are many days where I say no to this. Where if I'm being honest, I wake up and I say, actually, Jesus, I'm not okay with getting less today, even though that means you get more. I'd like more, please. Hmm. The Corinthians struggled with this as well. They weren't okay with less. And it was ripping their church apart. Outsiders looking in wanted nothing to do with this Jesus. So let me ask you again. Are you okay with less if he gets more? Because again, that's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? What did Jesus do with his physical body when he walked this earth 2,000 years ago? He offered it up on our behalf. He chose less to the point of death on a cross that you and I might have more. That you and I might have the more of forgiveness of our sins, of wholeness, of restoration, and of life eternal. He chose less so we would have more. And if he was willing to do that, willing to choose less, that we might receive more, how can we not be willing to do the exact same thing for his body, for the others that are around us? Are you okay with less if he gets more? Thankfully, we don't walk that hard journey alone. Far from it. Because in the body of Christ, you're not alone, but you belong. You belong here, you belong together, and you belong to Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us Jesus, your Son who makes it possible for us to even be talking to you right now. Thank you for him, Lord. Thank you for your spirit who gives us these great gifts and unifies us together. Thank you, Father. Help us to live into the beautiful unity and diversity that exists in the body of your son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Each week here at Brookside, we celebrate communion, God's word visible. The good news gospel of Jesus Christ received in a manner that we can see and taste and touch. The breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup. One element of our corporate response to a good and holy God. If you're new here, I want to explain briefly how we do communion. I know that it might be different uh, than what you've experienced before. We have four communion stations, two down in front and two in the back at the aisles. Uh, if you need a gluten-free communion elements, those are in the back, my back right. You can go there for those. Uh, you don't have to be a member here at Christ Community to take communion. You only have to be a part of his body. You only have to be a part of the body of Christ to come forward and partake. If that's not you, if you haven't become or accepted Jesus and not a part of his body, uh, I would encourage you to reflect on belonging during this time. Where do you belong? Where don't you belong? 
And why do we belong here? I also want to mention again that we have prayer available for you in the back by the sound booth. If something from today's sermon just hit you, or if you simply need prayer for something going on in your life, make your way back there, and there's people that would love to do that with you. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. In the same way, after they had eaten, he took the cup. He said, drink of it, all of you, for the forgiveness of sins. Come now to the Lord's table to taste, to see, and to touch the good news of the forgiveness of sins. Come and learn.